0: Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Many of you already do. Appreciate that. Also appreciate life. And I am blessed beyond measure. All reasonable. All unreasonable. Every way that you can think of. I am blessed. I hope this finds you doing just as well. I also hope that you recognize how blessed you are in your own life. Faith-based conversations you can always have with me at JMartZone. My DMs are always wide open. If not me and you haven't had that chat, I hope you find somebody and I hope you have that talk. Couldn't possibly be more important. We're brought to you by Render's Warehouse. want to thank them as well for always being with us here on the show. Last night was fun. Home Run Derby was fun. Pete Alonso wins it, but it was all about that second round, wasn't it? It was about Vlad Jr. and Jock Peterson, 40-39. to 39. Vlad Jr. hit 91 home runs last night and lost because, and I think it was pretty predictable, he had nothing left after that 40-39. to 39 Just, I mean, that was one of the most insane things that we have seen in a contest that, you know, over the last few years, there's been a bit of a resurgence here. Bryce Harper was fun. This was very fun. And Alonzo hits 23 to Vlad's 22 in the final round and still has time to spare. But Vlad versus Jock was worth the price of admission, to be sure. Tonight is the All-Star game. Full disclosure, probably not going to be watching it. There are other things that that I have to do and other things that I need to be watching. And so this isn't me coming down on baseball. But I was thinking about, and if you heard out kick the Coverage this morning, Clay Travis and I discussed both the slam dunk contest and the home run derby as to which one was more important, which one was more integral to the sport, which one we liked better. And the answer is always going to be the slam dunk contest for me. I'm a slam dunk junkie. I have, I have like YouTube videos downloaded and saved of all the classic contests, many of which I watched live. I'm not going to say I watched Spud Web live or even Michael Jordan and Wilkins. I don't even think I saw those live. Maybe I saw one of them live, but I certainly remember Anything from Cedric Sabalos on, maybe even a little bit further back than that. I think the first one I ever watched was the one Kenny Skywalker won, and that was a long time ago. But the Vince Carter dunk contest, I never can get enough of because his first dunk is just such a work of art, and everything that he did in that contest and just the reactions from everybody watching were outstanding. And we've seen a handful of good dunk contests this century, but it hasn't been consistent. The home run derby generally is pretty consistent, and it's just a lot of dudes up there swinging for the fences. Interestingly enough, what I began to think about after this was, does this make me want to watch baseball? Does a slam dunk contest make me want to watch basketball? I think in that case, the answer is yes from the past, but I don't know that it's true now. So I went to Western Kentucky University, and Jeremy Evans, when he was playing for the Utah Jazz, won the dunk contest. I know that because I watched Jeremy Evans in college because he went to Western Kentucky and played for the Hilltoppers. And so that was really cool. And I was living in Bowling Green at the time, and that made it even cooler. But I'll bet you that the vast majority of the audience, one, did not know who Jeremy Evans was. Didn't remember that he won the dunk contest and didn't know he played at WKU. And so the dunk contest has a problem because while you do get young stars like we saw last night, Vlad Jr. and Alonzo, both rookies in the final, but guys that you, baseball desperately needs because their biggest, at least on field attraction is Mike Trout, but there's nothing that appeals off the field from him, even though he seems to be a good dude, because he's just not interested in the limelight. And that's unfortunate for a sport that they can't always pick who their best player is. As a matter of fact, they can't ever do it. LeBron James was fine having the cameras in front of him, so he's been good for the NBA. Whether you like him or hate him, you have an opinion on him. And That's important. Apathy is what you never want in sports or in any level of entertainment. Being indifferent is far worse than love or hate. If I hate you, I might watch just to have that part of me reinforced so that I have a reason to hate you the next time that there is an argument. And if I love you, obviously, I'm going to pay attention to what you're doing. If I'm apathetic, that's the worst. That means I don't even care enough to have an opinion about what you're doing. So that's the last thing that you want. The problem for the slam dunk contest is that none of the big superstars generally play, generally compete in it, because they have everything to lose and nothing to gain, including prize money. I looked this up. Alonzo won a million bucks last night for winning the home run derby. The total prize money, if you add up the three-point contest and the slam dunk in the NBA, is 200 grand. The guy who wins the dunk contest wins 105 G's. So if I'm Kevin Durant, and I just signed for $140 million, or if I'm a Supermax guy who signed a five-year $221 million deal, why in the world am I going to go out there and potentially embarrass myself for 100 Gs? I know 100 Gs is a lot of money, but that's a problem for us. 100 Gs to them is just not enough. I don't know that a million is, but I think a million says a lot more than 100 grand does. Because if you're LeBron James, I don't know what the advantage is to being in the dunk contest when I know, watching him his entire NBA career, he is one of the great in-game dunkers we've ever seen. But he's not a style dunker. And that's how you win these dunk contests. It's what you do, you know, spinning 360s and 720s and going through your legs and all this. He's capable of going through his legs, but most of his dunks are power. They're pure lift and power with one hand. I mean, Blake Griffin won based basically on power, but I even then thought he shouldn't have won and did win because his name was Blake Griffin. So if LeBron goes out there and there's these dudes who have everything to gain where the hundred grand does matter because they're not making nearly as much money and no one knows who in the world they are, then all LeBron can do is harm his own image and his own brand. And so I've always thought he was a little afraid to be in the dunk contest because he knew there was a really good chance that he shouldn't win it, even if he would, because his name was LeBron James. And because of the money, the prize money, that doesn't help matters. But the Home Run Derby, and this is another interesting thing about the Home Run Derby. You know the curse of the Home Run Derby? Do you remember Bobby Abreu? That's the one everybody points to, but it wasn't just him. Abreu swinging for the fences wrecked his swing he was on fire the first half of the season he wins the home run derby and then he falls off a cliff in the second half of the season and it's attributed to his swing going all wrong because he was going for the long ball at the home run derby so there's actually a risk a much bigger risk i know you can land awkwardly in the nba i mean clay thompson's out for nine months because the way he landed on a you know drive to the basket in the NBA Finals. But there's a risk that you can wreck your entire swing. And if you're a key contributor, at least, if I'm a manager, I certainly don't want that guy in the home run derby. Yet you do get the Bryce Harpers and you do get the young rookies, the Ronald Acuna juniors, and you get guys that you care about. I mean, Vlad jr. is another one of those young dudes that baseball really needs to hit and find some kind of market ability that doesn't exist with a whole lot of guys in that sport. You think about Tim Anderson in the first half of the season that he has had in Chicago. Even though maybe you don't like every antic that he's pulled, he's the kind of guy baseball needs. Because the answer to the question that I posed off the top, does this make me want to watch baseball in the second half of the season? The answer for me is still an unquestioned, unqualified no. In 2019, baseball doesn't move the needle for me. The Braves are the longest fandom that I have. Of all the sports, of all the teams that you want to name, the Braves were my original. Grew up watching TBS. My dad was an umpire. I scored games with him on the sofa in the den. I went to games that he umpired, and I did the clicker and learned balls and strikes and outs when I was a very young boy. I played baseball Baseball just doesn't do it for me anymore, and I think it's sad, but it's true. I follow my Braves, and I'll still call them my Braves. I love them, but I don't watch nine innings of Braves baseball. A lot of times I don't watch five innings of Braves baseball. I follow them based on the box score, hope they win, love to see them do well. Love to watch Austin Riley, love to watch Acuna, love to watch this team do what this team does. I'm real happy with them. They've got a shot. You know, all of that. But this event, this exhibition is more interesting on an annual basis, the one night that it happens, than the entire lengthy, way-too-long 162-game regular season, where one 162nd, that's the fraction that matters in each baseball game that's played, compared to one 16th in the NFL. That's why you really think about it, and I just can't care about Boston playing New York because they're going to play 8,000 times a year. Baseball was, is a sport that is antiquated because there's so much time taken between every pitch. It's perfect for radio. It's why many of the best voices in the history of sports are radio baseball announcers. Vin Scully, who of course also did TV, just at the top of that list. But you think about guys like Jack Buck, Joe's father. My favorite, Pete Van Waren, Skip Carey, guys that I grew up watching both on TV and radio. But you're able to tell stories as an announcer on radio doing baseball because there is a whole lot of time to fill, and so you learn everything about those guys. You learn everything about that team, and you're able to talk about history, and you're able to rat off, you know, a 25 different statistical categories because you are filling time. And the greats did it by making you forget that that's what they were doing. They were unbelievable storytellers, able to weave stats and numbers alongside names and make them matter. And the other thing was baseball cards used to be huge. I remember before I went to school, early school, I'm talking like kindergarten-ish time, maybe even before that, but certainly like summer when I was doing daycare, I remember pretty regularly dad would stop and I would get a pack of cards a couple times a week It'd be the happiest time of my entire week and I'd open those cards when I got to daycare or whatever it was and it would be awesome I remember the 87 tops cards with the wood grain behind them I remember I wouldn't have known who Zane Smith was even though he did eventually play for the Braves at one point but I got like 7,000 Zane Smith cards so I would never forget who Zane Smith was and this was before interleague play, so I didn't get to see half the league. When I would watch, I'd go to a friend's house or something, and there'd be a national broadcast on, and all of a sudden I'm watching the Detroit Tigers. And I'm like, well, what sorcery is this? Is this the same baseball? Like, where, where did these teams play? There's Detroit. There's a team in Detroit. That's how it felt at times because you never saw them. That's why there's so many Braves and Cubs fans because we could see them all the time because they were on Superstation TBS and Superstation WGN. That's why all of that worked. But the Home Run Derby, as great as this event was last night, is a one-off. Because after the All-Star game tonight, which I've already told you I'm probably not going to watch, I may, I will DVR it, and if there's something important there, then I'll go back and I'll watch that. But it doesn't interest me. And once we finish this, then we go to the back half of a very long season, training camp, everything's about to start. For the Tennessee Titans and across the NFL, college football is less than 50 days away. I mean, all of a sudden, it's going to get pushed to the background. And baseball has been happening during NBA free agency and even since the NBA Finals ended in the lead-up to the draft. And I've spent most of my time talking about that. Baseball just doesn't necessarily, it just doesn't hit the same way. No pun intended. Last night, that was a lot of fun. But that was an exhibition. And you talk about Justin Verlander coming out and saying the balls are juiced because the game wants more offense. The game needs more offense, but I don't think it matters. If these games are 45-44, to does that make me want to watch baseball anymore? No, I don't think so. It's actually going to make the games longer, most likely. And I don't mind a good old-fashioned pitcher's duel. It's not that there's not enough points scored. That's not the problem. It's just a sport that seems like it's past its peak because of the time involved. I'm not saying it's the dodo. I'm not saying that it's going to be extinct. It's not horse racing. It's always going to have a large audience, but that audience skews older and older. And the younger kids are not seemingly picking up bats the way that they used to. They're picking up basketballs and they're picking up footballs. And football's got its own issues when it comes to concussions and whether or not moms are going to let their children play that sport with all of the information that has come out over the past handful of years with Benadamalu and everything. And it's, it strikes every team and every community and everyone that's ever put on a helmet and suffered a concussion, which we didn't realize how bad they were, and we do now. So football's got its own issues. But baseball's issues seem systemic, and it seems endemic to the time in which we live. 2019 just doesn't seem like baseball's time. But last night was fun. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 1045 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back on this Tuesday afternoon here in the Music City. This is the Big Six on 1045 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at JMartZone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff, renter's warehouse, the rent estate company. Home Run Derby was last night. Another story yesterday, and I touched on this on yesterday's program, but I want to talk about it a little bit more today, is Russell Westbrook and Oklahoma City and what's happening there. So Paul George is headed to the Clippers, that much we know. And they got a haul in return for him, meaning Oklahoma City, because they were able to basically sell the Clippers both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George you want Kawhi Kawhi wants Paul George so basically they were able to trade on a Raptors asset and as a result Steve Ballmer and the Clippers had to do what they had to do to get those two guys whether or not you think Paul George is a superstar or not he's a great number two at the very least he had his most prolific season ever last year and maybe more surprisingly than anything He and Russell Westbrook got along great. They were friends. They still are friends. And Russell Westbrook became the second option and facilitated and didn't take every shot. Paul George was the one that was able to focus last year and be sort of the guy for that team. Russell Westbrook changed the way he played. But PG is gone, and so Russell Westbrook may want out. And Oklahoma City may want him out. And if you look at getting five first-round picks in the move to L.A. Two of them being unprotected picks at that. And then they got another first-rounder from Denver moving Jeremy Grant yesterday. So over the last like three or four days, Oklahoma City has acquired six first-round draft picks. So the question then becomes, what are you going to do with them? What's the plan here? And the answer, to me, seems very obvious. And in the next segment, I want to talk about a guy who has fallen... Faster, even though he's still good at what he does, then many of us may realize, and maybe more so than any any athlete that was at one point as big a name as he was that we've seen in a long, long time. But when you think about Westbrook, Westbrook's still a high usage point guard that can be a streaky shooter. Sometimes can't shoot a lick, and he can be tough to deal with because his personality is intense, and that can rub certain folks the wrong way. He's also one of the most explosive athletes the NBA has ever seen. So what should Oklahoma City do? Do they build around Russell Westbrook at age 30 after 11 years with the organization that have gotten them to one NBA Finals and Westbrook probably should have won one if they could have closed out Golden State in that 3-1 where it ended up going from 3-1 to 4-3 loss. I think... That Oklahoma City doing this signifies Russell Westbrook's days there are numbered because they've taken away everything and they're looking towards the future, not the present because these draft picks aren't going to help them this season. Russell Westbrook just had an MVP candidate basically taken away from him. And you look at the roster that's left, there ain't much there, folks. I think Shea, or Shai Gilgis alexander is a really good prospect who had a great rookie year. But we're still waiting to see just how good he can be. I think he can be very good. And he's the asset they'll keep. They'll probably move Danilo Gallinari. But why would you keep Russell Westbrook now if you're Oklahoma City? You've already basically waved the white flag and told everyone, yeah, we know we have maxed out what we can do here. Because if you think you can win a championship – With Russell Westbrook and Paul George, you don't allow what happened to happen. You know you didn't. So you move Paul George, feeling like you've gotten about as much out of this group as you can, this core, these two superstars. And so right now we have a chance to strike while the iron's hot, while Paul George is the key to maybe the best player in the NBA's destination city in L.A. So let's get what we can for the Clippers. So there is a market for Russell Westbrook. And the question I have is, if you're the Knicks, do you just do whatever you can to get him? Because you have had so many people spurn and ghost you that apparently were going to go there and didn't go there. Now, Durant might have gone there if he didn't get hurt, but he didn't like that poor Zangus wasn't there. And they let poor Zingas go to try and free space up for two max deals and couldn't get anybody but Julius Randle. So if Westbrook would be willing to go to New York, and maybe Westbrook has the ego that says, I'll go to New York. I mean, if you're watching R.J. Barrett in the Summer League, and we'll talk Summer League, and just the ridiculousness surrounding some of the critiques of these players. I mean, you remember when Dennis Smith tore it up in the the, uh, Summer League? You remember when Dennis Smith was tearing it up in the the actual NBA? If you do, you need to tell me because it was very short-lived. The Summer League can be blown way out of proportion. Lonzo Ball looked like he was going to be Jason Kidd in his first day on the job with the Lakers based on Summer League play. And people need to slow down because we're still waiting to see what Lonzo can be now that he's out of the cesspool of Los Angeles that he just needed to get out of. Not because it's a bad place to live, but it's because he had always been there and it was way too close to everything that kept him from being able to be his own man. But Russell Westbrook to the Knicks, interesting. Interesting. Miami is interested. I I don't know how that would work with him and Jimmy Butler. Maybe it would work. The one that just baffles me is him to Houston. Like, that can't happen. Chris Paul and James Harden already hate each other. You're going to add Russell Westbrook to that mix? There's only one basketball. I know that joke gets made every time you talk about multiple superstars going to one team when they form these super teams. But in this case... Chris Paul needs the ball in his hand at all times. James Harden plays one-on-five isolation basketball on a regular basis to the extent that Mike D'Antoni changed his entire coaching style to fit what James Harden did because in an argument, Harden was going to win with Daryl Morey and the Houston Brass. But then you're going to add Russell Westbrook to that? Even with Westbrook changing his game, going to Houston is a no-go. There is no way you can do that. And I don't know who else is out there that has assets. But if you're the Thunder, you think about the fact that you've acquired six first-round draft picks in the last 72 hours-ish. What are you going to get for Russell Westbrook? At this point, this is about the last point where you can get max value out of him, where he's not hurt, where there is time, and where he's coming off of, of still feeling like he's in his prime. I saw Brandon Hagney, my good friend, tweet this yesterday, and I thought this was a very smart point, which is that dude's game is not going to age gracefully. And that is a very astute point because Russell Westbrook's not a great shooter. He is an elite athlete. When that speed goes down, when that Mach 5 becomes Mach 2, and he doesn't have the same lift that he used to have, that's going to be a disaster. He's not someone whose game is actually, he, he's, he's not a guy with an old man game, as they used to say. Like, you think about Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic could have a long career in the NBA and be really good for a long time because his game doesn't necessarily rely on athleticism as much as technique. And he's, his finesse is good as well. And he's got a nice shot, nice touch. He doesn't rely on things that eventually go away nearly as fast as Russell Westbrook does. So if I'm the Thunder, I'm already thinking that Russell Westbrook is the climber on the Price is Right when you think you've got about two cents more before that climber goes over the top in that game. Maybe he's still elevating. I think he's already descending. I think he has hit the peak, taken the selfie, and now he's on the way down the other side of the mountain. And if you've got a guy that you can already pinpoint is past the summit, you move that guy smart owners do this you can say "Ah, he's probably still got two or three more elite years yeah but in those two or three years you're going to win a title with him if not trade him now trade him to an owner or a team or a franchise that desperately needs star power and you just go ahead and admit in that moment hey we're going to take all these draft picks and we're going to come up with a brand new basketball team look out it's going to take a little bit of time but We have proven before. We know how to draft. We know how to pick talent. And we'll do it again. We did all we could for you here. It's a good fan base down there in Oklahoma City as well. They're not going to desert that team. You let Russell Westbrook go. I think it is an easy decision to make. He can still contribute to a team. And he can still be a number 1 for a lot of teams in the league. He's not going to win you a title. Because if you can't win a championship if you're Russell Westbrook... Surrounded by Kevin Durant, James Harden, Sergi Baca at one point, and then later Paul George, I guess you can add Carmelo Anthony to that, but you couldn't do it with Paul George either. You couldn't even win a playoff series, basically. Then there's nothing left to see here. This is a just the facts, ma'am. This is a please disperse. We're putting up the yellow caution tape. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep it moving. It's time to move Russell Westbrook. Trying to keep him moving. He may want out, may want to change the scenery, Miami, that'd be fun maybe with him and Jimmy Butler. Put him in the East. There's a little bit more wide open there, and his athleticism, there's not a lot of people that are going to be able to hold him in the West, much less the East. There's not a whole lot of guys that are going to be able to hold him in the East, to be sure. Send him, send him away while he still has max value. All you're doing right now is acquiring something to be relevant in the future. You're not going to be able to compete this year anyway. So there's no point in hanging on to Westbrook while his value continues to dissipate. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So, welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Always glad to have you with us. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at JmartZone. So, in that last segment, I talked about Russell Westbrook, who's 30. 11 years in the league, and what Oklahoma City should do. And I know Westbrook is okay with being moved and probably wants to be at this point. I think Oklahoma City probably needs to move him. As a matter of fact, not probably. They definitely need to move on from him. They almost got a title with him, but at this point, they're not going to. And he still has value today that he might not if you keep putting miles on that body. He's outstanding. He's outstanding. But eventually, when that athleticism goes, it's going to go, and it's going to go quickly. This isn't quite the same thing. But Dwight Howard is headed to the Memphis Grizzlies. Or is he? He was traded last week from the Washington Wizards. And it's being called a, quote, money-saving maneuver. Adrian Wojnarowski said, Memphis saved 3.1 mil by swapping C.J. Miles for Howard. And they're either going to trade or just waive him, and it looks like they're just going to release him because there's no market for him. He's 33 years old. He only played in nine games last year because he was he dealt with injury, and had spinal surgery in November, had pain in his glutes, but he averaged 12.8, 9.2 last year. 12.8 points, 9.2 rebounds, eight seasons with Orlando. And then in the past four years, he's played for a different team every single year. He's played in Charlotte. He played for the Lakers. Remember that? Played for Houston. Remember that? Played for the Hawks. Remember that? And then now with Memphis, fifth organization since 2016. This is a guy that when he was in in the 2017-2018 season, he played 81 games, 16.6 points, 12.5 rebounds, and 1.6 blocks. That still sounds awfully productive to me. Not elite level, but still productive. So what has happened to Dwight Howard? It seems like no one wants him around. And this kind of goes back to the Kyrie Irving argument that I continually make that I don't think you're ever better by having him on your team because he wears out his welcome so fast. And you think about the free agents that Houston has not been able to get. They never have been able to get the third guy they needed. Carmelo at this point, I mean, come on. And it's because, and if you've read reports during the times that they were trying to get these guys, top free agents would flat out say, I don't want to go play in Houston because I don't want to play with Chris Paul. Top free agents would say, I don't want to go to Houston because I can't deal with James Harden. Not being affable in sports or in life does not tend to work out very well for you. Not using kind words, not using calm words not being restrained in your speech long enough to at least understand what's going on. Dwight Howard, when he was in Orlando, he smiled wide and he continually talked about how he just wanted to have fun and that that was his life and he was a fun-going guy. He puts on the cape and he gets in the phone booth and he's doing the whole deal and he's winning the slam dunk contest and Kenny Smith's saying, Superman is in the building and Shaq's kind of balking at it because he's Superman and da-da-da-da-da-da. Dwight Howard, new young superstar, built like an Adonis, can jump out of the gym, not great from the free-throw line, but not as bad as some guys his size, good defender, seems to have everything that you want. A piece that you can win a title around. Orlando probably should have won a title within the year that they went to the finals against the Lakers. The biggest mistake we've seen in a long time in the NBA was benching Rafer Alston for Jameer Nelson, but I, I have lamented that many times in the past. Rafer was on fire that entire postseason. They had a chemistry. Jameer was hurt. He came back just before the NBA Finals. Yes, I know he was a bigger star and a bigger name, but it destroyed the chemistry, and Stan Van Gundy made that decision, and it was the wrong call, and it cost them any chance to win that series. But Dwight Howard, who talked about having fun and laughing and being fun-loving, If you are having fun and you are fun loving and and that, that tends to mean that people are gravitating to you, not away from you as if you ran out of right guard and did not go to the pharmacy and you smell exactly like this image I'm sure has awoken in your brain. We've all had those days. But Dwight Howard has fallen off a cliff and he is still prolific when he can play. And there's no market for him. We talked about Boogie Cousins. He's now a Laker. No one else wanted him. Because coming back from that Achilles and then having the quad tear, he can't jump. He can't run. He labors. That's the best way that I can describe what he does. He lumbers up and down the floor. He doesn't run. He doesn't trot. He doesn't gallop. He tries to walk. And it doesn't look comfortable at all. It looks like he should be out there with a cane. And maybe... This offseason will be enough, and he can come back and be healthy. I hope he can. He's a young guy with a lot of talent who's had some breaks go against him. Some self-inflicted, but not the injuries. But Dwight Howard, who has dealt with injuries, deals more with the fact that people just don't like that guy. And so I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain. Who else in sports has been as high up on the ladder of their particular discipline as Dwight Howard was and just completely flatlined to this degree to the fact that the only time you see highlights of Dwight Howard anymore are usually on and a fool or on blooper reels because he's done something ridiculous and he's laughing or whatever. But apparently I guess the smiles and the laughter aren't there when you actually go back, I guess, behind the curtain or into the locker room. It's not the same. Dwight Howard is trying anything he can to try and redefine himself. He went on with Sham Sharania of The Athletic and talked about how he was inspired by Draymond Green. He says, I want to be whatever a team needs me to be. I've played in every situation so far. I used to really hate how Draymond plays, but what I noticed watching him during these playoffs was that he does everything for the team. He's everywhere. He'll get a tech, he'll take a charge. He'll be everywhere on defense. He's talking, he does everything. It doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but it shows up in the mind of everyone watching. I want to be that person. Then he went on to say that his ego doesn't exist and is, quote, dead, unquote. Furthermore, quote, it had to die for me to be who I am, unquote. That's unbelievable. It's also... You know what? It's unbelievable in many ways in that I don't know that I believe it. He talked to Lee Jenkins in September of 2017, Sports Illustrated, right after he went to Charlotte. And right there, he talked about how he was immature and he had made some mistakes with Orlando and just how he had conducted himself and that he had learned from that. He was doing all that he could. Remember every season they would put him like, oh, he's working with Elijah Wan this year. He's working with Patrick Ewing this year. He's going to come back with post moves. My man just could not learn post moves. If he could have learned post moves, I mean, he wouldn't have just been a perennial all-star, which he has been or was for for a decent length of time. He would have been one of the greats of all time, but he never could do it. So he sits there and he talks about how he needs to adapt and he needs to mature and he's learned from this and he's learned from that, but he's actually used this same speech numerous times. And because he can't shoot a jumper consistently and can't shoot a three, we're seeing dudes like Mark Gasol and even Brooke Lopez last year in the playoffs. Those guys that can shoot have passed him by. So it doesn't matter how strong he is, how athletic he may still be. When you take the attitude that he has displayed throughout much of his career, And then pair that with eroding, if not, I mean, they're not gone, but eroding skills. You've got a recipe for a guy no one actually wants on their basketball team. And so the lesson here, kids, is be kind to other people. Have something. Be a teammate that other dudes want around them, that organizations want in their locker room. You ever hear that? Like, you'll trade for somebody that's a character guy. And the stories that will be written about the media, even if the stats are averages, ah, oh, he's going to be great in the locker room. He's going to be great in the community. Doesn't you know? He he might not, he might not catch, but thirty passes this season for insert NFL team here. But he's just going to be somebody that's there. He's every, all the young players are going to learn from him. He's 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 a class act. That guy. But if you don't have that, and your skills are questionable, or you're dealing with injuries. What exactly do you have to offer an NBA franchise at that point? So I think it's not surprising that Dwight Howard is in this position because he reaped what he sowed later than he sowed, more than he sowed. Because for too long, he went from being fun in front of the camera to, I guess, not being fun behind the scenes, being a diva, being somebody with a superstar complex who thought he was wonderful with a giant ego. His ego was crushed. And then he just became a malcontent and caused problems in locker rooms. And so now, even the Memphis Grizzlies, who could use him, if he's healthy, I guess, don't want him either. It's just a cat move. It's all about just moving money around. Dwight Howard, guys. Dwight Howard's not that old. He's 33. And he's marketable. Well, you know what? He used to be marketable. He's probably not anymore. And basically, his career is almost dead. I mean, he might actually just be out of the league. I mean, people look at him and find a reason to sign him. But I can't believe how little he's actually been able to accomplish in a career that seemed like it was destined for the farthest galaxy. And I think a lot of it, unfortunately, just comes down to character flaws that he identified within himself but was unable to change. And that's, I mean, we're all broken. And we all have tons of character flaws. But this one has cost him, it's cost him championships. It's probably cost him friendships. And it's definitely cost him some level of in- integrity and respect in the sport. He has fallen just like a stone, like a huge boulder to the bottom of a river. And we'll see where he lands. We'll be right back. Big six, 104.5 the zone. Final segment of the program tonight here on the Big 6, 104.5 The Zone, brought to you by Renter's Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners benefit from the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renter's Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. One more show, and then we got some racing for you Thursday and Friday, but tomorrow... Just go ahead and plan this out. Put it into your calendars. My annual SB rant. This is one of my favorite days of the year because I get to rip something that I just find zero value in. So that maybe we'll even do why is this a thing. I did it last year on the SBs, And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it every year as long as the SBs exist. Which means as long as I've got a radio program, as long as I'm blessed enough to have a radio program, you're going to hear an SB rant one time a year. But I'm going to make it worth your while. That much I can promise you. Zion Williamson got shut down for the rest of Summer League with a knee. Not a big problem. Just he knocked knees on Friday night. They're calling a bruised knee. And so he says it's kind of a precautionary measure. So he's not going to play any more Summer League ball. I don't even know if that's true. But here's what I do know is true. All of this, ooh, Zion Williamson is out of shape And Ja Morant, did you know he was eating chili fries the other night? Guys, this Zion Williamson, he's going to be fat and deal with weight issues because he lives in New Orleans. Talk is ridiculous. So he came into summer league, and he was around 285 pounds. I think he was listed at 284. And so people started asking him, do you have any goals about your weight and getting into game shape? And so he says, I'll let the trainers help me with that and did not actually give any specific goals. I think he's going to be okay. He's going to be a bigger guy. And there are a lot of people that seem to have fears that he is going to just eat himself out of the NBA. I just don't see that. I think he's a smart enough guy to avoid that. I know food can be a real problem, but I've never looked at Zion Williamson and thought, yep, that dude's going to be fat. He does live in a city where, there, where there's a whole lot of food around him and a whole lot of it's going to make him bigger. I get that. But can we stop talking about these kids who have played like 10 minutes in summer league games in the NBA and start meticulously kind of taking apart their diet regimens? I don't care if John ja Morant's eating chili fries. I hope he is. John ja Morant's a small dude, first of all. He's a rail. He can eat some chili fries. Everybody can. You know what I figured out? As I've lost all the weight that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me the ability to lose, and some people won't understand it when I say that, but I can't take credit for any of it. Had I tried to do it myself, I would have failed. That mindset and all that has worked for me over the past two and a half years, that glory goes to God. And I'm just glad that, that he has allowed me to understand that and has opened my eyes to just his awesome power and what he's done for me. But I've learned that I can eat here and there. Like, I, my mind, it's hard for me to, quote, cheat, unquote, or just eat anything unhealthy. But on the 4th of July, I had a couple of different desserts. I didn't eat a ton of them, but I tried a couple of different things that I had not had before. And I know that they were loaded with sugar. And I ate, and there were a couple of other meals last week I could point to and say, yeah, you know, I could have done a little better right there. And then you know what? I went and weighed on Saturday just to see, just to see. You know, I, you know, I probably put on a pound this week. It was a holiday. I wanted to have a little fun. I did the same thing when I was in California last month. I had fun. I was out there with my my girlfriend, and we we're just enjoying the time. And so we went to In and Out, and I wanted to try it, and we had some ice cream at Disneyland, stuff like that. And so I just assumed, all right, well, I've probably put on a couple of pounds. And so I weighed, and i had lost a pound. I'd lost 1.2 pounds in that last nine days, which included the 4th of July and all the stuff that I could point to and say I made a mistake there. This is not a diatribe on anything other than slow down. John Morant can eat some chili fries. It's not going to derail his career. The Grizzlies are going to be okay if he goes to a fast food restaurant once. Now, if he does it every day, I mean, Marshawn Lynch ate Skittles all the time. Dude had a pretty good career last time I checked in the NFL. That was the thing. Derrick Rose, I know he dealt with injuries. Derrick Rose, I think he was another Skittles guy. It was either Skittles or M&Ms. One of the two. That's all he did. This thing is not new. I mean, John Morant likes chili fries. I bet there are a lot of dudes in the league that like chili fries. Probably a lot of coaches, too. But Zion Williamson, yeah, he might eat some gumbo because he's going to be in New Orleans a lot. He might be you know, in the French Quarter. He might have a lot of really good meals down there, eating a ton of seafood. But if he can't handle that, then he would have had that problem anywhere. It's not because of where he went to play that it's a bigger risk. And just, do we really need to be asking him about this stuff in Summer League? And so there are questions being asked on TV yesterday and earlier today. Can you believe that he showed up out of shape? Dude, he's not Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette showed up out of shape. At the Combine, he showed up out of shape. And he's been out of shape at times with the Jaguars as well. I don't feel like Leonard Fournette's personality and Zion Williamson's personality appear to be very similar whatsoever. So I'm looking forward to watching Zion Williamson just murder people on a basketball floor in the fall. The way he just jacked that ball out of Kevin Knox's hands in the nine minutes that we got to see him in action before they shut him down for summer league. Good. We'll see you tomorrow. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. Find more ways.